Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. Will you turn to Psalm 103 with me? You know, one of my favorite things to do when preparing a message uh, is to read in introductions in, in various commentaries. Um, of this psalm, Psalm 103, Charles Spurgeon wrote, There's too much in this psalm for a thousand pens to write. He said that truly, uh, Psalm 103, it's almost like a Bible in itself. And um, that this song alone could suffice for the hymn book for the church. I'm glad it didn't because we sang two good songs before this and we got two good ones after this and I'm thankful for the variety of um, ways we can worship. Matthew Henry, in his commentary in the introduction, he said that this psalm is best embraced with devotion rather than exposition. I didn't know what to do when I came to that because it's in my job description here to exposit this psalm uh, for you, but it'll be my goal to do it tonight with devotion and hopefully to move us all um, to a greater devotion regarding its main topic. The topic of Psalm 103 is the goodness of God to us. Let's read it. It's a psalm of David, and he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all of his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, he healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger. He's plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide. Neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, and so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. As for man, his days are as grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourisheth, for the wind passes over it, and is gone. And the place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. Upon them that fear him, and his righteousness unto children's children, to such as keep his covenant, and to those that remember his commandments to do them. The Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom ruleth over all. Bless the Lord, ye his angels, that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. Bless ye the Lord, all ye his hosts, ye ministers of his, that do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Let's pray. Father, we come to this song that uh, is, is full of your goodness to us, especially uh, in Jesus Christ, there's no 
um, way that we know your goodness greater uh, than what we're about to really focus on in the next couple of weeks, the death of Christ and his resurrection. And I'm so thankful that you saw fit to bring us together tonight to study this psalm where we see your goodness described and we're reminded of when it was delivered to us in Jesus Christ, Lord. And um, God, I pray that the intent of this psalm, what, the whole reason you've given it to us is so that your goodness and our recognition of it would develop something in us. And so I pray that would happen here tonight. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. So in the first seven verses here um, of Psalm 103, uh, the goodness of God is described. David begins this song of praise and thanks in verse 1 by ordering himself to do something. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul. Uh, right? He's not really telling you to do it, although we should follow his example. He's telling himself to do it. He says, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. So when David says, bless the Lord, O my soul, Soul, he's referring to that innermost, that, that immortal part that every single one of us has, uh, his soul. But he doesn't restrict it to that. In obedience to God's command throughout Scripture, David wants to love God and praise God with all of his heart and soul and mind and strength. He says, all that is within me, bless his holy name. And, and rightly so, because uh, our good God is worthy of praise, isn't he? And anything less than wholehearted praise isn't what he desires or what he deserves. So what does it mean to bless the Lord and to bless his holy name? We had better know so that we can do it. Um, it means to declare what belongs to him. I verbally declare what belongs to him. To praise him for who he is and what he has done specifically as he's revealed himself to us. He's about to do that here in this psalm. So we can get specific with our wholehearted praise. David's command to himself, it's restated there at the beginning of verse 2. And then it's followed by uh, what should be the content of our praises and our thanks to him. His benefits to us. Uh, but before we get to that, I, I want to consider these two commands to praise God for his goodness to us. In, in, addressing, in addressing himself um, in these commands, bless the Lord. Oh, my soul, bless the Lord, all that's within me, bless his holy name. God is reminding us through David that we have the power over ourselves. Uh, we have um, the power to either give or withhold praise from God, what is due to our good God. And we're reminded in these first two verses that uh, the kind of praise, this wholehearted praise, that's what God desires and deserves. And it's not involuntary. <laughs> Uh, it's not automatic in any sense. If we're going to praise God, how David does here in Psalm 103, uh, it is going to call for the coordination of all our powers, all that is within us. G. Campbell Morgan, evangelist and pastor and uh, college professor, uh, he said it like this, the sanctuary is not a lounge. It's not. Uh, we should enter into praise with our personality arrested and then arranged and dedicated because it's only then that we can render praise to God that's worthy and acceptable to him. In verses 3 to 7, that's where we have this list of his benefits that we're not to forget, but rather uh, we're to declare praise to him for the goodness of our God. Please notice it was described first here uh, in that he forgiveth all thine iniquities. We ought to note uh, what God had David list first here as far as God being good and his benefits to us. He's talking about his mercy and he's talking about his grace, uh, his forgiving of our sins. Some of them, 
No, what does it say there? Forgive all. <laughs> Forgive all your iniquities. Iniquities is kind of a synonym for sin. Uh, it has to do a little bit more with the guilt, the guilt of sin, our guiltiness. Uh, our God deserves to be praised with our whole being because he has forgiven our guilty state through the work of Jesus Christ. All of our sin, all of it. Uh, in that King James Version, forgiveth. <laughs> Uh, if you have a modern version, it probably says forgives. Um, there's a powerful and praiseworthy lesson there. Forgiveth. Uh, it doesn't say he forgave all of our sins. It says he forgiveth or, or he forgives. And the verb is in the present tense, meaning this is what he uh, has done, he is doing, and this is what he will continue to do uh, for those who place their faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. Isn't that an awesome thing right there? Uh, the goodness of God is described in his continual forgiving of our sins. And those King James Version Fs, I kind of, I tried to emphasize them as I was reading. They continue through the rest of this song. Even in the next phrase there, he healeth. So he heals. He has healed. He is healing. He'll continue to heal all thy diseases. Some theologians believe due to the surrounding verses that David's speaking metaphorically here. He's talking about, we could say sin sickness, right? Um, and honestly, the reality is that all disease is present in the world as a result of the fall of man. Um, sickness, illness that didn't exist before Adam and Eve sinned. Uh, other theologians believe we should take this literally. I do. He healeth all our diseases. Does God heal all our diseases as Christians? I want you to think for a minute. Does he heal all of our diseases? He does. He does. Sometimes he does it um, in mysterious ways. Miraculous. Doctors are like, I don't, I don't know how that happened. <laughs> I, I can't explain it. And sometimes he healeth all of our diseases in medical ways. He does. He gives, there, there's no doctor on the face of this earth that is able to do what he can do apart from God, right? Who woke him up this morning? God. Who gave him the knowledge that they have God, the skill that they have God. And sometimes that healing is of a complete and eternal nature. Do you understand what I'm talking about there? He, but he healeth all of our diseases. And verse 4 gives us these two benefits, these two aspects of God, God's goodness that we should praise him for. He redeemeth, there it is again, so he has redeemed, he is redeeming, he will continue to redeem you from destruction. He crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercy. So with sins forgiven because of our faith in God's grace to us in Jesus, God in his goodness has redeemed and continues to redeem our life from destruction. Because of sin, um, that was our destination as we entered this world. Destruction. That, that's the default state of humanity. As soon as you're born, that's where you are headed. But God, right? But God intervened. He sent a redeemer who redeemeth. And those who have placed their faith in that redeemer, Jesus Christ, they have been and they will continue to be crowned. He crowneth them with never-ending eternally dependable covenant love from God. We walk through this life as we await Christ's return. We literally crowned, adorned with God's great love and grace and mercy in our life. Look at verse five. It says that he satisfieth the mouth with good things so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. And there it is again, a present tense verb. He does satisfy. He is right now. He will forever satisfy the one who turns in faith 
to Jesus Christ. And really, this is kind of the result of God's goodness, the result of all these listed benefits that we've already been told to praise him for. Satisfaction um, in what God has saved us from and in what he has saved us for, we receive true satisfaction in life. Uh, that is what is available. That is what God in his goodness is holding out in his invitation to follow Jesus. Satisfieth, a continual satisfaction. There's nothing else that offers that, nothing. Um, this world, what the devil offers, it promises satisfaction. And at best, uh, it might give you some kind of momentary satisfaction that is always followed by suffering. <laughs> um, but this satisfaction promised by our, our Redeemer in a life devoted to Christ, it is so different than mere pleasure or entertainment or anything else this world offers. Uh, our good God brings true satisfaction to our lives from good things, good things. It is God who gives us what is truly good in this world and even gives us an appetite to, to desire and enjoy those things. Isn't that what God says in the book of James? Every perfect gift cometh from above, from the Father of lights, with whom there's no shadow of turning. Our good God brings true satisfaction to our life from good things. And this, according to that verse, uh, verse 4, um, I'm sorry, verse 5, th this becomes a source of strength <laughs> and energy to his people. They have a vitality uh, that is renewed like that of an eagle. And the list of benefits is not done yet. Verse 5 reminds us that our God is good because he executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. Executeth. He has, he is right now, and he will continue to do so. That is not a hallmark of most of our human leaders. <laughs> like perfect righteousness and justice. Uh, and without the eyes of faith, uh, you and I will fail to see that God has always done this and that he is doing it right now and that he will do this forever. And, and so I urge you, Jesus follower, though we may see and though we may experience uh, injustice and oppression in our lives, we had better not evaluate the goodness of God on only what we can see. <laughs> um, e even if it's throughout our entire lives. Because we have a more sure word than even our own experience that accurately defines who our good God is, don't we? His word right here is this one example. Uh, we can trust that when God declares his concern for justice and righteousness in scripture and he promises to act, we can trust that he currently is acting and he will always act even if we might not notice it or we might not understand it all right now. David leans on that more sure word in verse 7. He references God revealing who he is to Moses. And I have no doubt in this description and the verses that follow that David is probably either reading or meditating on what happened in Exodus 34. You remember that account? Uh, Moses is at Mount Sinai and God, uh, Moses tells God, Lord, you know what your people are like. <laughs> and I've already had a few interactions with them. Uh, that are making me wonder if I'm the right guy to lead them the rest of the way. If I'm going to do this, God, I need you to reveal yourself to me. I need to have a close, intimate relationship with you. I need you to show me your glory. Do you remember that? And you remember what God does? God places Moses in a cleft of the rock, and God passes by him. 
And, and, and Moses sees God. He doesn't see his face. He sees the back side of him. And then God says something here. And what he says, David records in verse 8. It's also who we know God to be in Jesus Christ. Let's look at the goodness of God delivered beginning in verse 8. And he says, the Lord is merciful and gracious. And he's slow to anger. And he's plenteous in mercy. That's what God told Moses back there at Sinai. And that's what God's telling David here in verse 8. And that's what God's telling each one of us tonight. And God says, I am full of mercy. I'm merciful. I'm full of grace. Dublin First Baptist. And I'm slow to anger. I'm plenteous of mercy. What is God saying? I'm good. I'm good. God tells us in verse 9, I won't always chide. I won't keep my anger forever. And the idea here is a legal accusation or argument. And our good God hasn't. <laughs> and he didn't. And in fact, he settled that legal case about 2,000 years ago when our punishment was placed on Jesus. And all those who trust in Christ are from here on out declared not guilty. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Isn't our God good? Uh, in this verdict resulting from the work of Christ for us, as verse 10 says, God has not dealt with us according to our sins. We haven't been dealt with like our sins deserve. He has not rewarded us according to our guilt. Sometimes that is very hard to believe, isn't it? Probably because we know how bad off we are. And that's why in verses 11 and 12, God gives us these two beautiful poetic um, descriptions and symbols, metaphors of his goodness delivered to us in Jesus Christ. Verse 11, as, as high as heaven is above the earth, well, that's how great God's mercy is toward those that fear him. How high is heaven above the earth? You know, in Hebrew culture, they had three heavens. They had the first heaven, which is like clouds, sky, airplane, and then space, stars, moon, planets. Then they had a third heaven. That's what Paul says uh, you know, he talks about how when he was stoned, he went up to the third heaven for a, a brief period of time. Um, now, we might know the distance between ground level and, and like the highest clouds in the sky. And we might even know the distance between ground level and Saturn, something like that. Um, you, you could probably Google it in the next minute or two. Don't do that, all right? Because here's the thing. It, I mean, what do we say? It's astronomical. Like, that's what we want to define that crazy number is because we have a hard time even wrapping our minds around what is measurable. But no one knows the distance between ground and, and heaven. Heaven, what he's talking about here. Nope, they can't be measured. And that's the, the point. Um, we, we struggle with, good. We should stand in awe of the measureless Mercy that is ours and God's goodness to us in Jesus Christ. It's his goodness delivered. In Jesus Christ, his goodness is delivered to us. All, all these things that he's talked about, that's how we know he's good. Because that's who Jesus was. I know you like this one in verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. You know, God was very intentional in this metaphor. He chose east and west. If right now you got on a plane and you flew straight north to the North Pole... Uh, you would cross it, and then you would start heading what? South. South. But to describe the infinite separation uh, of our sin and guilt from us when we trust Jesus as our Savior, God chooses east and west here. They never meet. You head east, and you're just going to keep heading east. You'll never start heading west. You'll never reach west. Man, is God good to you, Christian? 
Verse 12. Is his good grace worthy of your all that is within me? Praise. You can have it all because you deserve it all. And then verse 13 tells us that just as a father pitieth, and there's that ETH there, continues to pity his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. And once again, the verb is in the present tense, communicates continuing action, no end. And this is so beautiful because though God knows that our trials will work for our good, yet God pities our experience of suffering. We have a God who pities. Every other religion out there, every other small G God, there's no God that does that. Just ours. God who pities his children. We're reminded of this in John chapter 11. Um, I think that's what Tommy's going to preach on. But um, no, it's John 3. John 3, right. But in John chapter 11, um, seeing the suffering and grief of his friends and knowing full well that in mere minutes he was going to do something miraculous to alleviate it, what does it say in John 11 that Jesus did when he saw all of the sorrow surrounding Lazarus' death? What's the shortest verse in the Bible? Jesus wept as he pities us. And honestly, I believe we see the truth, this truth of God's goodness and his pity for us most uh, in Christ's incarnation. I know we're heading near Easter, but we need to look back to Christmas for just a moment. Verse 14 uh, says that he knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are dust. Do you understand that this pity that we get from God, it is so much more than sympathy. It's actually empathy. He knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are dust. Not only is God aware of our frame, um, and what we're composed of because he's our creator. He made us. Um, but in Jesus Christ, in the incarnation, God added humanity to his deity. He, know, he, he knoweth our frame because he experienced our frame. But what God only knew before by creation, Jesus knew by experience in his incarnation. And before we move on to verses 15 and 18, there's a couple of things that are just too beautiful for me to pass up here. Um, how is it that God could, look at verse 10, how, how is it that God could not deal with us according to our sins? Because he dealt with another according to our sins. Another who took our sins on him. Jesus, that's how he could do that. No one got away with anything in God's grace to us in Jesus Christ. God's goodness didn't contradict God's holiness. The, the cross is where those two things met powerfully. And the punishment that was meant for you and I, it was absorbed completely by the Son of God. Secondly, this, this avalanche of wonderful promises, really in all these verses, but specifically verses 11 to 13, east is from the west and high as far as, you know, the heaven is above the earth. Um, they have a condition. We need to notice that because we didn't really focus on that. Who is God's mercy greater than the distance between heaven and earth for? Those that fear him. Isn't that what it says? For those that fear him. Who can enjoy their sins being separated from them? As far as the east is from the west, who can experience the loving empathy of God and who can rest in the reality that God knows them? According to verse 13, them that fear him. And verses 15 and 16, they, they just really reiterate what verse 14 said regarding our frame and composition. I mean, our lifespan, our existence here, it is like grass or flowers. It's delicate, it's fragile. But what about God's mercy? What does it say there? What, what is his covenant love to us in Jesus Christ like? What is the goodness of God delivered to us in Jesus like? I want you to pay attention to this. Because this it says it's from everlasting 
and it's too everlasting. God tells us in 1 Timothy 1, 9, that God has saved us and he's called us to a holy calling, not because of anything that we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. And that, that grace was given to us in Jesus Christ before the beginning of time or from everlasting. Before the goodness of God ever uttered, let there be light in Genesis 1, the goodness of God made a plan to redeem you, to redeem you in Jesus Christ. Is that not an extraordinary level of goodness and grace? from everlasting. And when will that end? So everything ends, right? No, this won't. It's too everlasting. Jesus promises in John 10, 28 and 29, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, who's greater than all, no man's able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. It's too everlasting. We sing it, right? No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. Till he returns or calls me home, here in the power of Christ I will stand. Verse 17, stand in that. His mercy is from everlasting and it's to everlasting. Stand in that, Christian. F.B. Meyer, the Baptist pastor about 100 years ago in England, he said, there's never a time when God did not love you. Do you realize that? There was never a time when God did not love you. His mercy is from everlasting. And there will never be a time when God will love you less. His mercy is too everlasting. Again, who is this for? Notice the conditions in verses 17 and 18. It's upon them that fear him. And his righteousness is to children's children. So this doesn't end with you. God extends his grace to anybody who comes after you. Hundreds of years from now, should he tarry? But it's to such as keep his covenant and to those who remember his commandments to do them. Who's that? That's those who fear him. Those who keep his covenant. Who is that? Those who trust in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation. What about that last phrase? Does this teach that our works are a condition for the goodness of God being delivered to us through Christ's redemption? Well, only if you pull this verse out of context and and then tear away every other scripture that plainly teaches otherwise. What do people who fear God and keep his covenant of salvation, grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, um, what do they do? What do they do? They remember his commandments and do them, don't they? Not perfectly. It doesn't say that here. Um, they still struggle with sin, but there's a struggle. There's a desire to do right, and there's a sorrow that leads to confession and repentance when they don't. The goodness of God developed, verses 19 to 22. So this is what happens when you and I recognize God is good. And when we praise him for that, um, this is what develops from the goodness of God. Kind of the whole point of why is God good? Do you ever wonder that? Like, why is God good to me? We're going to get the answer here in these last few verses. And I love how this goodness of God psalm ends. Verse 19 reminds us of where our good God is and what he's doing right now. He has prepared his throne in the heavens and his kingdom ruleth over all. Let's focus on that ETH again, right? Um, Ruleth. He has always ruled. He is ruling right now. That's not something we got to wait for him to do. And he will rule. He will rule uncontested when he returns. But he ruleth right now. Do you need that reminder that he's ruling right now? 
I, I frequently need it daily. Two of the great heroes of the Protestant Reformation in, in Germany were Martin Luther and his friend. Ricky was his friend's name. Philip Melanchthon. Melanchthon. Ricky gave me a book on Philip I read a while back. But um, there were times when uh, Philip would get extremely worried and depressed about the state of the world and, and even the state of the church. And Luther would, there's numerous times Luther wrote to him in Latin, Monendus est Philip ut decena est erector mundi. What does that mean for us? I love it. Luther would tell Philip, let not Philip make himself governor of the world any longer. <laughs> do you need to hear that sometimes? I do. Um, that's a good reminder for us. Christian, you ought to be burdened. You should be burdened over the state of the world and even the church with a Christ-like compassion. But you are not meant to bear that burden alone, all right? You're not the governor. There is a governor, right? Verse 19, there's a governor. Uh, he has prepared his throne in the heavens and his kingdom has ruled, is ruling, and will forever rule over all. Amen? That's Jesus Christ. Goodness of God, deliver. And would you look at how this song ends? It ends just like it began, verses 20 and 21. David moves from commanding himself, though, to praise God, to telling the angels to do so. Because they excel in strength. They do God's commandments. They hearken to the voice of his word. Do you? And then verse 21, these hosts, heaven's armies, talking about angels still. They praise the Lord by doing his pleasure. Do you? Do, do you... Um, I mean, you pray it, you do. Do you praise him by doing it? You're like, what do you mean I pray it? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How is his will done in heaven by the angels? Immediately, immediately. Man, if, if you pray that, um, you had better praise him by being the answer to your prayer. Doing his commandments, just like the angels. Hearkening to his word. That means listening to it and obeying it. Doing his pleasure each day, just like the angels do. That's how they praise him. And if you will, you will bless the Lord. Like David says to himself again in verse 22. And he speaks to everything. Along with all his works in all places of his dominion. You know, all creation blesses God this way. It does. Waves stop where he says, stop. And clouds full of moisture, they unleash themselves when he says, drop. So are you going to tell me that you're going to be the, the one work in all of his creation, in all the places of his, of his dominion? That's like, I, I don't know, I'm going to do my thing. That's what you're going to do? The goodness of God is, the whole point of it is to develop, develop the, the praise of obedience in our life. Um, we're going to get there in a couple of months, but I love how Psalm 130 verse 4 puts it. One of my favorite verses in this book. With you, Lord, there is forgiveness so that, so that we can with reverence serve you. That's why he's good to you, church. That's all these different ways he's been good. That's why he's good to you. So you can praise him and praise him the loudest, the longest, by the praise of obedience, so we can with reverence serve you. He is good, isn't he? I mean, that's what we've been taught here tonight. Uh, that's what the whole point of his goodness is, uh, what it's developed in our lives. 
from the goodness of God that's been described here and that's been delivered to us in Jesus Christ. Why did he save you? Same reason. He wants to be praised with our whole hearts. That when we come before God, whether it's on Wednesday night or Sunday or together or even in private, when we come before God to praise him, he deserves nothing less than all of us. And we should, we should truly arrest, like G. Campbell Morgan said, arresting. Try to think of that next time you come in here to worship. Are you arresting every part of you to give to him? Or is part of you back home with whatever happened there? Or is part of you with what happened on Fox News before you came in? Or is part of you with what you got to do tomorrow or next week? Have you arrested any distractions? Are you arranging yourself and dedicating yourself. That's what it means to praise him with all that is within me. And that's the praise he deserves and desires. As well as the praise of obedience. You know, having our sins separated from us as far as the east is from the west. That should result in nothing less than you and I living for him. There's no greater praise than that. So praise team, will you come and lead us to declare his goodness together tonight? And Christian, as they come, will you allow his goodness to develop this praise of obedience in your life? With you, Lord, there is forgiveness so that we can with reverence serve you.